0: The Redshirt Collective,
1: a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective.
0: So energize with Earl Grey Tea and Chocolate from the Replicator.
1: Set your phasers to fun.
0: And prepare to engage. Ready, Captain?
1: Yes, Captain. Make it, it, it so. so. Welcome
0: aboard. Hey Nick. Hey Mike.
1: What are we talking about today
0: one one zero zero one <laughs> zero zero one
1: <laughs> Wow are is that binary?
0: <laughs> it is <laughs> yes, we are talking about uh, season one episode fourteen uh the one in which Riker falls for a manic pixie dream hologram <laughs> <laughs> That was so the best good. I could come up with mm,
1: That was good, so good. <laughs>
0: Oh, this is another episode I feel is pretty boring, uh-huh. but also like mildly triggering or offensive, uh-huh. so uh, I feel like we have little to say, which means we'll probably have lots to say,
1: yeah, yeah, that's usually what ends up happening, but we'll see you <laughs> yeah know, let's let's just kick it off and see where we end up.
0: It's kind of our <laughs> brand
1: that's right, that's right.
0: So we kick off today's episode with the Enterprise approaching Starbase 7-4 in orbit around Tarsus 3. They have been ordered there for some maintenance checkups and upgrades, in particular to the holodeck, with which they've had problems. We know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've seen. We know, guys. We've seen.
0: (laughs) Captain Jean-Luc Picard tells us in a voiceover that he expects a glowing report as the Enterprise has outperformed anyone's expectations. Picard and Commander Will Riker go to welcome aboard Commander Quinteros, and from their conversation, we find out that the Enterprise is a week later than expected, having been held up at Omicron Pascal. Quinteros has two little aliens with him, and when Riker asks if these gentlemen are the Binars, Quinteros informs him that they are indeed the race known as Binars, but that they are neither gentlemen nor ladies. They are a pair that are always together, Known as one zero and zero one, they function as a unit, bouncing, bouncing back and forth to complete each other's sentences, and are referred to as they them. I absolutely love that we get non-binary representation with people from a binary planet. That just Whoa, tickled
1: me. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't even think about that at the time. I, I I did write that note. I was like, oh my gosh, finally for the first time in the series we have something that's not binary. But then I was like. But they're called binars, which <laughs> is like, you know, kind of funny. So, yeah, uh, I
0: found it very, very funny.
1: The non binary binaries.
0: It works too. It does and work. I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, we learned that the binars are tasked with upgrading the Enterprise's computer, such a large mobile computer.
1: Is that is that an Enterprise in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs>
0: Uh, and the binars have a great reputation for doing these kinds of things. So Picard tells them they have 48 hours to complete the upgrades as they have to be at their next appointment in 48 plus 6 hours. <laughs> to which the binars look startled, saying they thought they'd have more time. But when Picard offers to postpone the upgrades till a later date, they rush to say that they want to do it now and can get it done. We get some clunky exposition from Riker and Picard as they walk away Riker's saying, the binars seem perfect for this, even though this is the first time I've ever come into contact with them. (laughs) Like, okay, Okay. Riker. (laughs) Such a weird comment. (laughs) Picard explains to him, but really to us, that the Binar have evolved over time to become so interconnected with the master computer on their planet that their thoughts and language have become as binary as possible for organic beings. Which is interesting to me, considering the Borg exist. Oh, good. And I will say, like, I just wish this episode actually explored this culture more, because I found this really, this premise, like, very fascinating. Uh And I had a thought that I could probably become a best-selling author just by taking unexplored premises from the next generation and writing books about them.
1: What? Yes. Right? Career change.
0: Seriously, I've always wanted to be an author. So I'm like, maybe I'll just do that. I'll be like, oh, a planet, a planet of these people who like think in binary ways and are integrated with a computer. Go. Like I just, there's so much that TNG brings up that I'm like, wait, wait, like, that's interesting. Let's talk about that more.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. Okay, into that.
0: I'll just add that to my (laughs) massive list of creative projects to tackle. File that
1: one away, yeah.
0: (laughs) On the Turbolift, we find out Picard has a little work to do, and then he says salaciously that he's going to turn on his relaxation light (laughs) and lose himself in the pages of a novel, as if he's talking about making sweet, sweet love to some broad. Uh Riker says he's not good at organizing his time off and that he's sure something will turn up for him. To do as it always does.
1: Dun, dun. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go back to my room and uh, turn on my <laughs> relaxation light if you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> I'm going to insert myself into the pages of a novel if you, get what I'm saying. <laughs> if
1: you catch my drift.
0: <laughs> uh, I just love it. I will go to my grave saying that Picard is the best asexual representation ever. Yeah. Like he's just so into like everything but sex and yeah. it just makes me so happy
1: it's very funny oh did you notice by the way that Quinteros is like a bearded picard
0: <laughs> he is like a bearded picard that's yeah. so funny
1: yeah i couldn't get much that out of taller my head. though i think right he is taller yeah. yeah yeah
0: i love how little patrick stewart is uh and like has such a commanding presence it mm-hmm. makes me really happy mm-hmm. We join Wesley Crusher on the bridge as he watches the Binars, of which there are now four. Riker joins Wesley and then questions the Binars as to why the extras have joined them, to which they respond in a very obviously anxious and sketchy way, giving some excuse about the work that they need to do. Wesley picks up that Riker doesn't believe the Binars, but he leaves to stroll around the ship anyway, leaving in- <laughs> Wesley in charge of the bridge which I was like good for Wesley, but also he's literally a child. Yeah, <laughs> I know they're docked and like they don't expect anything to happen, but it just still seems a little weird.
1: Yeah, that yeah, that did not seem did not seem appropriate. <laughs> I was
0: like, wait, what? Wesley's in charge of the bridge. Okay, okay. okay. Riker bumps into security officers Tasha Yar and Worf, who are with two randos, dressed in dark blue and black spandex outfits, offer a game of Parisi squares. They offer for Riker (laughs) to
1: join. Which we know as American Gladiator.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. They offer for Riker to join, but he declines. Riker lectures Worf after Worf declares that they will be victorious to just go have fun. Worf retorts, if winning isn't important, Commander, then why keep score? Boom, Riker, in your face. (laughs) Tasha stays behind to tell Riker she thinks Worf is pulling his leg and that he's been developing a sense of humor lately. Why are they always gaslighting us about who is funny? Worf is hilarious. Worf is
1: hilarious.
0: And he's obviously intentionally hilarious as often he's, as he's like not intentionally hilarious. Exactly. Like some of the stuff he says only makes sense if he's like telling a joke, you know?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Anyway, I'm just so sick of it. I'm Ger. like, Worf is funny. Data is funny. Stop trying to tell me that they're not. Yeah. As they go off to their game, the lights dim a bit and Riker pings the computer for an explanation, which is that resources are being diverted to make space for the upgrades. Hmm. Riker looks concerned, but continues on his way. Riker then joins (laughs) Lieutenant Commander Data and Helmsman Geordi LaForge in Data's quarters, where Geordi is helping Data see if he has the ability to be creative. Via painting. What
1: even was going on in that
0: scene? (laughs) I don't know.
1: I was very confused by that storyline. I was like, what in (laughs) the...
0: Although Data painting is one of my favorite like ongoing motifs in Mm. TNG. Yeah, he does do a
1: lot of painting, doesn't he?
0: He does. And I, I don't know why, I just really like it. Riker seems unimpressed, but tells them to take notes as scholars of the future may have interest in a blind man teaching an android to paint. That's got to be worth a couple pages in somebody's book. Data and Jordy seem equally unimpressed with this sentiment and it just, continue on.
1: It just seemed insulting.
0: <laughs> it I was, was like, what
1: are you even saying, Riker? That sounds mean.
0: This is why I fucking hate Riker until like at least season three, I think, yeah. because he's such a dick. Yeah. Like he's walking around because he's bored and he can't be bothered to schedule anything for his own time. And then he's just poking his fucking head into everyone's business. Yeah. And deciding if he wants to be part of it. And it's like, no one invited you, dude. Yeah. And then, yeah, like Data and Geordi are not only... Your subordinates, you know, like people you, your colleagues, people you work with, but like they're also your friends Uh and this is how you're in, you know, like this is how you're engaging with them. It's just so offensive. Like this is how you see us as a blind man and an android. I know. Plus it is fascinating. I was like, I want to see if data can be creative and like, what do we consider creativity? I know. This show loves its philosophical conversations and yet... Stuff like this just goes unexplored.
1: I know. And it's, and it just sounded so dismissive, you know? Like it would have been one yeah. thing if he'd like made a comment about it in like a thoughtful way or like commented on their friendship, but it's instead he's like, mm. <laughs> he's
0: like, and then he <laughs> left. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. I just, it, it was very infantilizing. Like, it, yeah. He was treating them like little kids or something. And it just, Sure. Was was not cool in my book. No. So, Mr. Budinsky then pops in on Chief Medical Officer Dr. Beverly Crusher, who's excitedly packing for her visit to see Professor Terrence Epstein, the leading mind in cybernetics who happens to be at the starbase. Bev is real revved up talking about how she found an approach to combine cybernetics and regeneration, and she can barely spare Riker enough time to tell him all of this as she juts off to meet the good professor.
1: Which was weird because we've never really seen Bev like that before, and it was kind of like... (laughs) Did they know who her character was or were they just like no. trying on different sizes of Bev for each <laughs> each episode being like, let's try this character Basically. trait on her.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's uh, a doctor who hasn't managed to grow calluses yet. One episode. Mm-hmm. And then she's like cold and just like completely unreadable another episode. Mm-hmm. And then this one, she's like, because I was like, does Bev do research? Like, this uh-huh. is the first time we've heard that she, like, works on things. Yeah. You know, besides just being like, oh, I'm just here to support everyone and be the doctor. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, they don't know what to do with her. They still don't know what to do with her up through all the seasons. That's why she ends up fucking a ghost. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, well and all else. Spoiler fails, alert. You can always fuck a ghost. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about that episode and it's so far away. Like it's just such a thing to look forward to. You know, you
1: know what that sounds like actually? Um, mm-hmm. you know how that episode of Happy Days, um, you know, where the Fonz jumps a shark?
0: <laughs> yes. And so
1: it becomes like the the terminology, you know, is like, oh yeah, that show really jumped the shark. Yes. I think they should be replaced with fuck the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that character really fucked the ghost in the last episode.
0: <laughs> I fully support that. And I think we should make that canon on our show. <laughs> we
1: should, yeah. Because
0: it's true. Like, that is the most notorious of all the episodes of TNG. Like, uh-huh. that is the one I see memed constantly online uh-huh. Uh-huh. still to this day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you guys just, if you want, as, as listeners, you should really try to work the phrase, fuck the ghost, into, <laughs> into your conversation <laughs> about media critiques. Just give it a try. You know, let us know how it works. So.
0: <laughs> and then people will be like, screwed the pooch? And you'll be like, no, no. jump the shark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then everyone will be very confused. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, okay. Well...
0: Out of people to bother, Riker finally goes to the holodeck, which is being worked on by the Binars. They say the updates are done, but are vague about exactly what enhancements were made. They invite Riker to try it out, and he chooses to go to a jazz bar with a single woman in it, circa 1958 on Bourbon Street in New Orleans.
1: How creative.
0: (laughs) I know, I was like, yeah, okay, dude.
1: (laughs) Uh.
0: Riker goes through making changes to the bar to suit his little fantasy, and as he does, he keeps misgendering the binar as boys and gentlemen, which I think is telling since he's ordering a custom made woman like a fucking creep.
1: That was so gross.
0: It was so gross and it felt like he was pulling the Binar into it, like Uh treating them like one of the guys, you know, Uh Uh like, oh, boys, you really outdid yourself. And it's like, first of all, they're not boys. Uh And second of all, you're being gross. (laughs) Stop. So we cycle through a blonde, a light brown haired woman and finally settle on a sultry brunette whose body we slowly pan up from toe to tit and I vomit. I also laughed when he was like, blondes don't go with jazz. And then yeah. the next woman was like, barely not blonde. And right. he's like, that's more like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's the
1: imperceptible shift I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, so Riker goes to chat up the brunette, whose name is Minuet, which is a slow, graceful dance in three-fourths time, characterized by forward-balancing bowing and toe-pointing. Just in case anyone's curious. I thought it was a musical instrument, so I had to look it up.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: But this kind of makes sense, because then she talks about dancing Dancing right away, and I'm like, oh, I see what they're Mm -hmm. doing. I'm not sure what accent the actress was going for here. (laughs) But the way she talks makes her sound like an AI who's attempting a baby voice, and it's quite unsettling.
1: <laughs> it's so creepy when you put it like that.
0: <laughs> Minuet says she loves all jazz except Dixieland because you can't dance to it, <laughs> to which Rager calls her my girl. Oh,
1: this is so gross.
0: The way... Oh. Every scene with him and her, I my skin was just crawling off my body. I was like, this is so uncomfortable. You. Even though when he walked up to her, he said, tell me you love jazz. And it's like, fuck off.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like Riker cannot possibly deal with a human woman. He has to like, because because <laughs> yes. a, an actual human woman wouldn't put up with his shit. And so he yeah, has I to know. like, invent the manic pixie dream girl, as you said. <laughs> Uh,
0: exactly. Oh, yeah. just so gross. The binary look onto this mess with shady side-eyed wariness. Which is a little
1: creepy. <laughs> <laughs> know,
0: it was. Well, and that's the thing too, like Riker feeling comfortable to just be this way in front of other people. And then other people like watching him. It just all of it was just so uncomfortable.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh they speak to each other in binary and then abruptly leave. Minuet claws Riker's butt chin seductively and we huh. cut to a commercial break.
1: <laughs> uh, did you notice that Minuet d- looked a little bit like Tasha Yar? Was it just me? Like there was something with a face? Mm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Am I just making yeah. this up though? No, no, no. I could. I didn't think of it, but I definitely see it.
1: Okay. Yeah. They they definitely had a type, these Star mm-hmm. Trek casting agents. <laughs> it's like
0: they certainly did. <laughs> When we come back from the commercial break, Wesley asks the binars about their binary language, asking how they can take in information so quickly, to which they point out the doohickeys on their belts that apparently store information and buffer it for them. I have to include these things because we got so little about the binar, and I was like, fascinated.
1: I was just following along in the recap, and when we get to doohickeys, I was like, do he got... do oh doohickeys. I was trying to make out what the word was, and then you said it, and I was like, oh, doohickey. Yeah, that's exactly what those are.
0: Oh, my God. You're using
1: period-appropriate I'm language Dad. for that. <laughs> I am. The doohickeys, which are right next to the watch Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Riker is playing the trombone while making just extraordinarily uncomfortable direct eye contact with Minuet. Listen, I had a girlfriend who played saxophone in band in high school and it got me so worked up that I gave her a handy in the back seat of her parents' car with her parents like two feet from us. Wow. So I get it that a brass instrument can be quite erotic. However, <laughs> I do not think making direct... Unflinching eye contact while you're blowing into a horn is you, appropriate. You mean his or bone? attractive? <laughs> yeah, his his bone. <laughs> oh, I just was like, I just can't, I can't get any more uncomfortable <laughs> with this whole situation. Anyway. The other computer-generated musicians start telling Riker how much Minuet wants his flesh trombone. Riker hops <laughs> off stage and tells Minuet he needs to get back to work, but she asks him for a dance before he goes. They have an intensely uncomfortable conversation about how his work consumes and enthralls him and how he's aware of how lucky he is while they dance. Riker starts going off about how Minuet seems so real and then weirdly asks, How far can this relationship go before they start making out? And Picard walks in on them. Awkward. And Riker
1: was just like nonplussed by the whole thing. He's like, Yo, man, you want to get in on some of this? Like, it was so creepy.
0: Oh, yeah. It had very like gangbang vibes to Uh me. I was uh like, I'm not okay with anything that's happening. Of course, Picard comes in all giddy about the locale because <laughs> he's also a basic bitch like Riker. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Riker introduces him to Minuet, who upon hearing his name starts speaking Parisian French to him and we learn that Paris will always enchant his soul. Uh-huh. I thought this was so weird. Like, my last name is Italian and if someone just started like <laughs> like blurting <laughs> Italian at me, I'd be like, dude.
1: <laughs> and then, you, And then you'd be like, Oh, yes, Florence has always. Enchanted <laughs> yes, <my soul>. exactly.
0: It's <laughs> just <laughs> so strange. I'm like, I'd be like, well, I'm on like level two on Duolingo, but <laughs> <laughs> <Does> that... <laughs> I only know how to order pasta right now. You need to slow down. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Minuet invites Picard to join them. Picard remarks on how sophisticated Minuet's programming is.
1: Which is like the weirdest thing in this episode is in multiple scenes, Picard is talking directly about this, you know, computer generated being in front of the being and then directly to the being.
0: Yes, it was so (laughs) weird. You're
1: really interesting. I can't believe how, you know, technologically advanced you are. and we still
0: have the question of like what the fuck is the holodeck Uh, yeah in terms of like she must be a form of ai and if she's that sophisticated like they work with an android you know what i mean that they consider a person so it's like how can you then Yeah. why would you be that shocked they were talking about her like she was a fucking toaster or something (laughs) (laughs) it was so dehumanizing And it's like, okay, so you're going to talk about her like she's a toaster, and yet you're also considering having a relationship with her. Do you not see how fucking weird that is?
1: Oh, I do. Because
0: I get it if they're like, oh, she's just a program. Yeah. She's not a person, which I don't necessarily agree with, but like, fine. But it's like, oh, she's so real. I could date her, and I want to date her. And yeah, I'm also going to talk about her like she's a fucking appliance. Yeah. It's just disgusting to me very weird and it's just the way like men infantilize women and then just want to possess them it's like all the guys this is why i've never dated someone older than me because Uh there's always this vibe of which is funny because now i'm (laughs) sold but there's always this vibe of like they want to daddy you and they want to fuck you and it's like that's fucking gross Uh Uh (laughs) uh-huh
1: Yeah, you This is
0: why me. men are afraid of me. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> this whole episode is this is how I interact with men uh, and this is why Honestly, you
1: you're only scaring off the ones that you don't <laughs> want you don't want. Well,
0: and the problem too is most men like being yelled at, so it's like they don't even take this seriously. Uh, they're yeah. like, "Oh." Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh hot, that's hot. Like, when yeah, you tell at me,
0: me tell me I'm terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, "No, you're actually terrible. Get away from me." <laughs> Please leave me alone. Um, so then we get a quick cut of Data and Geordi's art class before Wesley Crusher interrupts them with a concern about the magnetic containment field in engineering. Geordi and Data rush to engineering to check it out. They discover the containment field is deteriorating and the ship will be destroyed by the release of antimatter in a matter of minutes. Mm. My boy Data takes control like the synthetic daddy he is and orders the crew to abandon ship, overriding Wesley's concern to get Picard's approval first as he says there's not enough time. He also orders the ship to be autopiloted as far away from any inhabited planets as possible. I want to remind everyone that this is all supposed to happen within four minutes. (laughs) What is this show in time? I don't. Get uh-huh. it like you can't evacuate an entire ship with like a thousand people on it in no. four and get it away from everyone else within four minutes.
1: Yeah, I know. I was like,
0: it's just not necessary for these timelines to be so ridiculous.
1: I know. I mean, the cool thing is that it, we got to see data just like, you know, mm. taking charge. Um, mm-hmm. But like it, it just had this very weird kind of like, wait, four minutes. Like that's not even going to. Like people are definitely gonna die. (laughs) 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 Exactly. Yeah, I did get some cool saucep vibes though when data evacuated Mm, the ship. mm -hmm. You know, like it was a saucep kind of moment. Like people running and like action was going on. You're like your heart rate goes up. You know what's gonna happen?
0: There was some insane uh, (sighs) CGI too. I felt like the stuff with them look like on the starbase looking out to the ships was really cool. Yeah,
1: I actually thought that all the all of the animation or not I guess it's not animation, all of the the modeling in this was really mm-hmm. well done. I mean, I've always thought the Enterprise itself was filmed so well in yes. the series, but actually having it come into the to the starbase and dock and the way the starbase looked, I was like, "Oh, this is actually really nice. This is not cheesy at all."
0: Yeah, it was really well done. Mm-hmm. I felt like this episode just seemed like a a cut above the usual and I feel like it did add to the, to the tension and the pacing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So due to their hurry, Geordi and Data assume that Picard and Riker have heard the abandoned ship order and are safely on their way. But once they beam down to the starbase, they're alerted by Tasha and Worf that the two are missing and realize that they're likely still aboard the Enterprise. Frantically, everyone tries to troubleshoot, but it's too late to beam back to look for them. They get a message that the containment field is somehow regenerating, and the ship has left the starbase with the two lead commanders still aboard. We then pan through the empty corridors of the Enterprise. I thought that was a pretty cool yeah. uh, sequence there. It was
1: very <laughs> Twin Peaks. I was like, Yeah, it was like, really Twin Peaks. kind of creepy, and yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought it was super cool. Uh, we, you know, we see the alarms and hear the alarms clanging and, and the emptiness. And it just gave this like really cool haunting aura. Mm -hmm. And then we enter the holodeck and we see Picard, Raker, and Minuet are kind of bubbled in this, you know, they're not hearing the alarms and they're just caught in their casual conversation, Mm -hmm. very relaxed, not realizing that something's going on. I thought it was very, very cool.
1: Yeah. That was a good scene.
0: Picard moves to leave, uh, very clearly feeling like the third wheel on a teenager's extremely horny date. (laughs) Uh, Minuet attempts to get him to stay, and when more subtle attempts fail, she begs him not to go. Uh Finally alerted that something's wrong, Picard and Riker open the door to the holodeck and hear the alarms. They try to ping the bridge, but get no response. And finally, the computer explains to them what happened and that it is unknown as to why they were not alerted. When learning of their destination, it becomes clear that the Binars have hijacked the ship to take it to their system. Upon being questioned, Minuet confirms that the Binar programmed her as a distraction for Riker and that Picard being there was just a fortunate happenstance, but she isn't programmed to give them any further information. On the starbase, the crew is trying to troubleshoot a rescue mission and realize that the Binars must be the cause of the emergency as they are not on the starbase with them. Data surmises that the Biner must be taking the ship to their home planet. We then see Riker and Picard go to the weapons room. <laughs> <laughs> with a camera zoom up on weapons room and dramatic music.
1: And the buddy cop scene ensues. <laughs> I know.
0: And again, it, it had like a, I don't know, almost like an alien or uh-huh. just some kind of like horror th- space thriller. Mm-hmm. vibe all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like we're gonna go get weapons and take down the bad guys oh yeah which of course like doesn't end up happening <laughs> the show just loves setting up stuff that it does not pay off <laughs>
1: that's true yeah they don't really do anything <laughs> exciting with the weapons from the weapons room
0: yeah there's so much talk point. about like how to get onto the bridge and what to do and then they get there and it's like everyone's just passed out yeah yeah <laughs> Picard orders Riker to go with him to engineering to initiate auto destruct, which even Riker is like, whoa, isn't that a bit extreme? Uh Picard says the ship has been taken over by a force of unknown size and intent. So I guess blowing this bitch up is the only solution. Uh The auto destruct countdown is only five minutes. Sigh. Uh (laughs) So they have to initiate it in engineering, get to the bridge, regain control of the ship, and shut off the auto-destruct or literally die trying. As they head towards the bridge, Riker notices a computer display that looks funky and asks Picard about it. It seems to indicate a large amount of data is being stored on the ship's computer, to which P- Picard deems it another piece of this puzzle. The bridge is locked, so they then devise the plan, with only four minutes left, to beam simultaneously to different parts of the bridge, and hope that one of them serves as a distraction so the other can regain control. Back on the Starbase, Data expresses guilt that he was not on the bridge, given that he has no need for rest or diversion. Tasha yells at him to not think that way, but they move on from this quite quickly. I thought it would have been kind of, I don't know, I thought it was kind of interesting, especially in terms of, um, you know, work-life balance, or Uh like, even Data's, Data's existence as someone who doesn't technically need rest or diversion—like, does he have this obligation, or why would he feel like he has an obligation to be working twenty-four-seven? Yeah. You know, Kinteros mm-hmm. confirms so that they don't have many ships that are available and flyable at the moment, and won't at least for another eighteen hours. When they get to the bridge, the four biners are all on the floor, <laughs> leaning against each other, looking dead. Mm-hmm. The two main biners beg for help before they pass out. Riker and Picard cancel the auto-destruct with a breezy two minutes to spare. They then try to ping the planet Binos to see if they can get some answers, but find that the planet's main computer and all of their technology has gone dark. They take another look at the data that the biners have stored on the ship's computer, and other than seeing it's an enormous amount of data, they're lost as to what it is or why it's there. Riker remarks he wishes that they left a note, and then he and Picard realize that they may have in the form of Minuet. <laughs> it's just so contrived. Uh, <laughs> just, I know. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> Minuet is just sitting there, looking kind of concerned when they come in, staring off into the distance. She explains to them that there was a supernova in the binary system that knocked out their main computer, Picard deduces that their plan was to transfer all of the planet's data to the ship's computer until the pulse from the supernova passed and then reboot and transfer it back. Due to the Enterprise being late and the supernova happening earlier than expected, the binary were caught off guard with their plan. So Riker says they can transfer the data back to Bynar's computer, but they need <laughs> the file name first.
1: <laughs> I love that. It's like... Very 1989 understanding of computers.
0: <laughs> it's like, but isn't it just all of the data that isn't the ship's data?
1: Like right. It, uh,
0: anyway. Yeah, I, he's
1: he's making it sound like it's my Google Drive or something, you know, with like yeah. 8 billion documents with <laughs> they just called untitled right. or whatever.
0: <laughs> it's like,
1: no, dude, it's basically just the brand new one. That one giant-ass file. (laughs) It's like 100 terabytes, that one. Oh, my God.
0: It's the one where the date created is today.
1: (laughs) You know, you can see it right under the little folder there. It's labeled, upload this or we will all die, you fucking idiot. that (laughs) one. I I think that's the file name. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, this was the... Most dumbass, ridiculous <laughs> ending to any episode of any show.
0: And that's saying a
1: lot. I, they're like sitting there trying to figure out, what would the password be? I don't know. Try their names. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and why would they password protect a file that they wanted them to access and, and send? It doesn't make it any doesn't make fucking any sense. sense.
1: Yeah.
0: So they ping Data back at the Starbase, and seriously, how the fuck do comms work? Because the Starbase is, like, far away at this point in another system, Yeah, but he just uses his, like, shirt comm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. And in other episodes, they've even made the point that, like, sending a message would take a certain amount of time, because even at the speed of light, if you're traveling at warp speed... Right. uh, Yeah, anyway, Okay. We have t- issues of time and space. The space-time continuum <laughs> is really taking a beating in today's episode.
0: <sighs> so together with Zeta, they figure out that the binars, who are displayed in a very intentional-looking configuration, are telling them the passcode name in binary through their position on the floor and their names. Mm-hmm. I really don't see why they wouldn't have just written it down or labeled the file binars data, but okay. Okay. So we finally get the show's title, that the file passcode is 11001001. They get the data back to the planet by working in a pair... And the binars come back to life.
1: Remember, because Picard is like, maybe we need to work together like them in a a pair. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. I mean, this was like Goonies. This was like bad Goonies. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, maybe if we just turn the skull, some super (laughs) secret trap will open.
0: (laughs) Oh, look, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, and my biggest beef with this whole thing is that they only targeted Riker and had only intended for him to be there. Yeah. To move the data, they said Picard was like a happy accident. Yeah. So why the fuck would they set it up that you so need that two only people? Only Riker
1: would be there.
0: Like, was he supposed to bring Minuet?
1: Yeah, but we know that she wouldn't have made it out of the
0: holiday <laughs> no. anyway. Uh, anyway. I'm just so annoyed. The binaries rejoice that their world is saved, and they are ready to return to the starbase for punishment. When asked why they didn't just ask for help, they said the risk their need was too great to risk a no. And Riker waxes philosophical about their binary thinking, making them think there was only yes or no options, which is true. Right? <laughs> so... Hmm. When asked why they locked him in the holodeck, they said they knew they might die so they needed him to complete the mission, although apparently he would have needed someone else to actually accomplish accomplish this. Anyway,
1: anyway.
0: <laughs> Picard sits down to the con to program the ship to travel back to Starbase 74. It was actually pretty cute cuz he was like hadn't obviously hadn't done it in a long time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he was like, you're in good hands, right? <laughs> he was all like pepped up to do it. It was very cute. Uh-huh. He and Riker are met by the crew and Tasha takes the binars off to Kinteros who will see to it that there is a hearing about their scheme. Uh-huh. Riker goes back to the holodeck to see Minuet, but when the sultry brunette in a very bad wig turns her head towards him, it's gasp, someone else. <gasps> a dead-eyed AI has taken her place. So Minuet's dead we never address it (laughs) Riker tells Picard who dismissively says some relationships just can't work and then the episode ends
1: oh no thank god yeah, I was kind of, I mean, I was very happy when this one ended too because my partner and her friend were like walking in the door as I was watching it on the TV and I was like. Oh, jeez." Yeah, and I was like, oh, can you guys like just close your eyes? <laughs>
0: Avert your gaze. <laughs> 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 You're like, I really don't want to be responsible uh, yeah, for explaining like, this. I
1: was like, thank God they didn't come in on the holodeck scene. I would have just been like, guys, it just, never mind, never mind. <laughs> You know how, like, no one ever sees you watching something that's, like, the coolest thing? Or, like, no one ever sees it when you're reading, like, a really intellectual book. They always see it when you're, like, (laughs) you know, it can help, like, the latest Harry Potter book or something like that. like, damn it.
0: Yes, and you're like, listen, I also do smart things. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Or with this show, it's, like... It gets good, I swear. Yeah, I know, that, <laughs> and it's that's like
1: more the thing. It's like it—it's not really as dumb as it looks right now. <laughs> I understand. And it's like, but
0: we're we're literally going to be saying that for years. <laughs> I know,
1: I know. But it's like I understand that what you see is a man in a funny polyester uniform playing the trombone, but really, this is a good show.
0: <laughs> Being a fucking creep. Oh. Uh. Well, before we move on, I want to say thank you. We've gotten two more Patreon members. So we're like famous now. (laughs) We've officially arrived. The show now, we're just going to move to a format where we like interview famous people and we forget who we were. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. The format's (laughs) going to change a lot. Yes.
0: Now that we have three Patreons. I mean,
1: you know what that means is that we have at least three listeners for each episode. So this is amazing.
0: I mean, according to our download numbers, that sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's your dad joke. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to say thank you to Julie and Tom. Yay! our, Our new patrons. Thank you so much, Julie and Tom. That's so fucking rad! I did not expect that at all. I thought we were going to get the first one and then like not have another one for months.
1: (laughs) You know what, Julie and Tom? If I was assembling an away team, I would put you on it.
0: Aw. And I I would make sure that
1: you were not in a red shirt. That's how much we appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So thanks, comrades. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All right. Well, what do you have for notes, thoughts? Where where do we even start? You know, not a lot. <laughs> I don't either. I have like four notes.
1: I, I had, I mean, the, the whole episode, at one point I was like, is this episode supposed to be like a morality play on the warnings against over-dependence on technology? Because you had this like whole binar, you know, planet that because they were dependent upon a central computer that their civilization risked, you know, destruction uh if mm-hmm. they could be, you know, was was that kind of what they were getting at and then on a micro scale they were looking at the the dependence on technology with Riker who can't actually have human relationships so he just like has these <laughs> fake Holodeck relationships with something that seems so real and then I was like I'm pretty sure there was like a movie Wasn't there like a a relatively recent movie about that? Like someone who falls in love with a computer-generated version? Her? Her, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, the guy falls in love with like an operating system. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, I mean, I, I feel like we're kind of like same song, second verse here on some of these things. And the whole thing, like... I can forgive, obviously, like, the clunkiness of of binary seeming like a cool thing to base. You know, I I think, like, today, like, pretty much everybody is fairly familiar with what binary is or binary code, Mm -hmm. whereas maybe, you know, in, like, the late 80s, that would be kind of a cool, like, sort of, like, futuristic techie thing to, you know, communicate in binary and all that. Um, But I just i failed in this episode to really get much from it and i think that the reason for that was like the storyline was actually good it was Mm -hmm. like i felt kind of like the intensity of the red alert so i'm like whoa what the fuck is happening right now and data takes charge and it's like whoa it's really cool this is serious and you know even like you know the whole buddy cop flick aside (laughs) like when you know when Riker and picard are like are like problem solving what are we going to do like all that's cool I think that Riker in the jazz bar just ruins this whole episode for me. Because first of all, I I hate the holodeck in general. Second of all, go back and listen to our, our previous episode on the holodeck where we kind of just, you know, harp on all these themes. But then just in general, the idea of a man sitting here coming up with his ideal woman And the ideal way in which he would set up the conditions so he could fuck the woman is completely rapey. And I think the rapiness of this episode kind of ruined all the cool parts for me. Cause I was just like, ew. It's just gross. And it's just like it just felt really pervy. And yeah, I, I just so so that was that was my only kind of like. Takeaway from this episode. Was, uh, uh, yeah. The good stuff was lost for me in this one.
0: I agree. And I really wanted more about the binars. I found mm-hmm. them really interesting. Mm-hmm. I found the premise really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's like if we had cut out all of the stuff, the holodeck, we would have had time to get more into it. You know, we would have had time for more world building and to flesh out the scenario and to maybe... Find out what the point of the episode was. Because I yeah. agree with you. It's like, I guess maybe it's cautionary against getting too integrated. But at the same time, no one who talked about it seemed to be putting a judgment on it. Like all of the crew were like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And the only time anything was kind of like brought up was when Wesley said to the biners, like, wow, I can see like massive advantages to you know, your whole setup. And the biners are like, well, there are disadvantages too, mm-hmm. which I guess was like foreshadowing, you know, that they are dependent on this master computer. But, you know, I feel like you have to reach to be like, okay, so I guess maybe they're saying being too dependent, but that feels like, again, you have an Android on the ship, you know? Right who regularly <laughs> gets knocked out by, you know, yeah. all kinds of things because he's, you know, an, an electronic-based, um, yeah electrical-based being. So it's like, and we are too, and, like, we get knocked out by all kinds of things. So it just seems like kind of a weird thing to put, uh, like, a judgment on because it's like, well, the extinction events happen for every type of being. hmm So to, like, put judgment just on this one, you know, one type of being because they are privy to, like, one type of extinction event, it just feels kind of, like, weird and, like, why, Uh you know?
1: Uh
0: But that's all you're left with. I mean, there's really nothing else in the episode to, like, I, I don't know what the point was. Like, I don't know what the point was of them having this conversation about how they didn't ask for help. Because it is kind of ridiculous, like we know that Enterprise would have helped them.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You know, like I'm saying, in in terms of like the lore of the show, it's like by this point, we definitely know that Enterprise would have helped and Starfleet would have helped. So again, it just makes it it's like, what was the point of this? What was the point of having them hijack the ship? I don't know. I don't see like why this could have been a cooperative rescue mission where we could have just learned about these beings and then they could have, you know, had the supernova come early. Yep. And had the, the time crunch the, puts the pressure. Yeah, on the that time way. crunch, and that could have all been fine. I don't know. It was just kind of it was weird, and I agree with you. This stuff, like I, I was, I was like, I don't know if triggered maybe activated is the right word, but I was like so uncomfortable in the holodeck scenes even with Picard there even Mm -hmm. Picard being someone who again I read is pretty asexual and Mm -hmm. like you know for better or worse like Picard's not always my favorite character but he definitely comes off as someone who like wouldn't hurt somebody Mm -hmm. and I still had this feeling like I was watching two frat boys with a drunk Sorority girl, yep. you know what I mean. Like I just, I had like a lump in my throat, and I was like, I just feel so fucking uncomfortable right now mm-hmm. and unsafe. The way that they were talking about her, and the way that they were kind of like crowded around her, and I just, I just don't see why, <laughs> why we needed that. Except that yeah. I know why, because the show's obsessed with you know this this version of masculinity where it's like post feminism. Or like post sexism, in their minds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. you can, you can. It's fine. You can just go order a girl on the holodeck. Yep. Like it's fine yep. because women have jobs now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: and you know, I think I have an answer actually to a really you know to a question that you posed because you because you posed exactly the, the the perfect question. Why was it set up? Why was this episode set up this way? And I think the answer. It was set up this way so that we could get Riker locked in the holodeck with his version Mm -hmm. of a hot woman. And I think that's why also that scene, because sometimes, you know, you watch a show or you watch a movie and it has some kind of problematic scenes and you're like, okay, I mean, that sucks. But it doesn't necessarily like derail from maybe some of the other messaging or something like that that's going on in this one. It felt like the whole episode was built around the fact that Riker was going to be in the holodeck with this fantasy woman. And that's why it feels extra gross because it's like, it's almost like you wrote the episode for those scenes. And that's, that's why the binars don't ever get any kind of screen time, um, you know, everything is a plot device. Like, everything's a device to get that situation. Because I was also like, why didn't they find a different way to, like, capture the captain or capture Riker um, and hold them hostage or something? Right. Like, like,
0: like you think, if anything, they would have tried to capture Data. They would have been yeah. able to, like, hack him. Yeah. And he would have been able to do the two-person thing probably by, by himself. himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, in all ways, it just would have made more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or they could have gotten to little sweet Wesley and you know, Wesley would have helped them, yeah. whether willingly or not. But he was like alone with them for so long yep. and also asking them a ton of questions. So yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I think they just wanted to have another holodeck yep. situation and they wanted yep. to explore this male fantasy that they all yep. had and everything else was like window dressing around that. Mm-hmm which sucks cuz like what they came up with was actually pretty interesting. Yeah,
1: there was a lot of really good stuff from this episode that could have that could have developed into a much more interesting a few much more interesting themes. I I thought so on that note, um you know, the idea of this episode obviously being built around Riker, that's the point. Um mm-hmm. you know, the 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 line that riker has where he, where he he's talking about his work minuet's asking him about his work and he's like work it is me it's what i am and i'm like so we're supposed to just take away from this episode that riker is this like work obsessed alpha male kind of guy but it just like to me it just seems like shitty and lazy and it seems like a male fantasy it's you know, this work-obsessed alpha male who doesn't have time for relationships because, you know, bitches be so complicated, you know. <laughs> and and so yeah. instead, we get the cool girl theme, you know. She's like, she anticipates <laughs> yeah. your every thought and, you know, performs in all the ways that you want her to perform.
0: And has no needs. Has no needs. And is just literally idling, waiting for you whenever you want her. yeah. Yeah, I can't stand this characterization of Riker as this like this ambitious, you know, work-obsessed guy. He does not come off that way ever. No. not Not one episode can I think of that he ever comes off that way. Picard does. Yeah. Right? Picard seems like someone who puts his work before everything else mm-hmm. and seems like he has trouble being vulnerable with people. Mm-hmm. And so hiding behind his work, you know? makes sense, not just from, like, he doesn't feel like he's just ambitious. He feels like he has become his job. Yep. But it doesn't work when literally every other episode we see Riker fucking somebody else and flirting with people and not being serious Mm -hmm. on his diplomatic missions Mm -hmm. because he's too busy, like, trying to bang the fucking president of another planet. Right. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. He doesn't seem serious. Yep. And that's, it could be fine if like the point was that he tells himself Uh these things, but everyone knows, like it's a cover for the fact that like he's just whatever his deal is, you know, he's just insecure and can't commit. Uh But the show seems to like, like you said, yeah, it seems to be projecting this fantasy that the writers have of themselves yeah. Of like, oh, yeah, it's like it just seems like such a masculine fantasy of uh I'm just really good at my job and I have this like high position and I just can't, you know, I can't give my heart to anyone because I can't be distracted from my yeah. work. But it's like. I mean, it's just hilarious to me that we get through all seven seasons and Riker still isn't a fucking captain, right. and Deanna's right there being like, "Bitch, you fucking walked out on me how long ago?" Yep. <laughs> so you could go be a captain, yep. and he's like turned down and not taken opportunities because he's insecure mm-hmm. and because he's like all attached to Daddy Picard and can't leave his side. Mm-hmm. So again, like that, that could actually be interesting. It could be interesting if the show is presenting it as like, oh, this is what he tells himself yeah, so that he doesn't have to analyze the fact that he's actually too insecure to go for what he says he wants, be it a relationship or be it like a captain's position. But it's that's not how the show does it. Mm
1: -hmm. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: This is why I fucking hate Riker. I just hate his character so. It's much. It's so hard
1: because I because as you, as we've talked about on on the show before, like Jonathan Frakes is a pretty pretty decent he seems guy. Like a, yeah,
0: he seems like a really good person. He's
1: funny, and in in, in <laughs> yeah. Lower Decks, I mean, he's so hilarious how he hams <laughs> it up. Like it's yeah, but.
0: Well, unfortunately, Riker does get better in later seasons. Like, he gets much more interesting uh, yeah. and complicated. Yeah. So, at least there's that. But it's just, like, early seasons is just so hard to grapple yeah. with. Because he's such, he's such a self-insert character yep. for the writers and for yep. everyone. Roddenberry and Rick Berman and, you know, everybody who's worked on the show. It's just, like... He's supposed to represent this thing that I think now we can see as just so harmful Mm -hmm. and also just so annoying. Like, I was so annoyed (laughs) by him walking around being like, oh, I can't entertain myself. So I've got to just, like, comment on everyone else's business and Mm -hmm. poke my head in everywhere. Like, when he was saying to Bev, he's like, what are you, quit? Like, what are you, leaving? It's like, get out of her fucking office. Exactly. She didn't invite you here. Exactly. Just go away. And like, I've worked with so many dudes like that. Like they'll stop by your desk and they'll just expect you, especially as like a female presenting person, they'll expect you to just be delighted by their attention and to stop whatever you're doing and just entertain them until they're suddenly like, oh, I need to go back to work. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Am I keeping you? Yeah, Please. <laughs> and I think, and and I think that,
1: that probably there was a mentality that Riker was going to bring in viewers that that was the character that was mm-hmm. going to like mm-hmm. connect and, and make it not a nerdy science fiction show when I think that like what we all wanted was a nerdy science fiction show <laughs> yes. we weren't coming for Riker we were coming for you know Data we were Wesley. coming for Wesley we were coming for for Picard Geordi exactly yeah so yeah. anyway
0: I agree yeah yeah. Uh,
1: Did you have some other points?
0: Not really. I just wanted to expand a little bit on the, like, Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. Ah, I just oh, yes, wanna, please. I just want to point out that, because this, this is something I've experienced as someone who gets mistaken for <laughs> a Manic Pixie Dream Girl all the time. Mm-hmm. Until, again, I, like, slap them in the face and, like, get away oh, from me.
1: You would it, Nick, would, can I hit pause for one second? I Maybe because... Sure. It, that the, the term manic pixie dream girl was new to me about a year ago. So I'm wondering if, oh, if really? everybody listening, like if if they were living under a rock for the last ten years like I apparently was. Um do you want to give like a little a little definition of Manic Pixie Dream Girl and then
0: Yeah, that's a good idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so forgive me, I'm forget who coined the term, but if you Google it, you can find it pretty easily if you're curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was created, if I remember, for the movie Garden State. Yes.
1: Natalie, is it? Not Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Yeah, Natalie, Natalie Portman Bartman. in Garden State.
0: And there were a few other movies around that time that this trope, you know, was very prevalent. And it does tie into, like, I think Cool Girl... We had cool girls and now we have pick me's. Yeah. And these are all kind of part of the same universe here. <laughs> yeah. So Manic Pixie Dream Girl is kind of like in this cool girl pick me sort of universe. At, or not like other girls. That's that's what it was when I yep. when I was when we were a teen. when we were
1: coming up, it was oh <laughs> yeah. you're you're not like other girls.
0: Exactly. You know. So these are all part of the same universe. But the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is basically all of this on like you know, to, to the nth degree where she essentially is someone, she often has mental illness that is romanticized and made to make her look quirky. Mm -hmm. She typically, she's most importantly characterized by not having her own like internal life or her own background or her, her own needs. So she literally, that's why she's a mad, like manic pixie. Like she, magically appears in the protagonist who's always like a white male the protagonist's life to make his life more interesting Uh and to teach him a lesson and to make him like feel more alive and interesting than he otherwise feels Uh so like if you look at a movie like garden state you know the protagonist is like a depressed white guy who like is really uh Rude and mean and sarcastic all the time, and just like is joyless and is bored. And then this like girl comes into his life who's all crazy and And quirky shakes (laughs) him up. (laughs) Yes, so because there's, uh, for instance, there's a lot of talk around 500 days of summer Uh where people call summer a manic pixie dream girl, but then a lot of people, including the person who coined the term, says like that's not actually not correct because summer has. Her own autonomy, she has a backstory, she has uh-huh. her own wants and needs, uh-huh. and she asserts them, you know, throughout the movie. Um, five hundred Days of Summer, I still have a lot of critiques uh-huh. <laughs> of that movie. And I think it does kind of lean into the trope, just not fully. But anyway, so that's high level, that's what a Manic Pixie Dream Girl is. Uh-huh. Is like she appears out of nowhere, she's a vessel for the, op- the protagonist's growth, and that's it. That's her entire purpose. Uh-huh. So when we look at Minuet, uh, she appears out of nowhere, <laughs> <laughs> literally. And the thing with R- Riker characterizes minuet as too real, and he literally says this because she tells him what he wants to hear, So he says, it's like she's plugged into my subconscious. She already knows what I want her to say before I'm aware of it myself. Ew. So to him, this makes her more real. Instead of making her more, like, two-dimensional as it should, Uh it should highlight that she is a fantasy Uh and that she is a program Uh and that she is not real Or that at least she's if she is real, you know, for saying she has some sort of sentience or whatever, then she's not real in the sense that she is projecting what he wants to see Uh rather than being a whole person. And I have experienced this a lot myself being someone who's a good listener, being someone who's kind of funny and like self-possessed that a lot of times that's sort of read as like this quirky out of nowhere Person who's gonna like shake up my life, uh-huh. <laughs> you know uh-huh. I get put in that box a lot, uh-huh. and then, when it comes down to it, I'm actually kind of boring because I'm just really nice and I like playing video games, uh-huh. and I you know just want to have a healthy relationship like uh-huh. and people get very upset about that because <laughs> they think I'm gonna be wild and you know telling them to jump in fountains and like <laughs> do do whatever. <laughs> And I'm like, no, I don't like walking around in wet clothes. (laughs) I don't who knows what diseases are in there. I don't want to do that. So it just, but this is what happens all the time is like when you reflect back, like even when you just have good active listening skills, a lot of men think like, whoa, she's perfect. Like she knows what I want her to say before I even know. And then that makes us like real. It's like this. uh, I just saw this meme on Instagram. That's exactly this where it said girls think men are funny when they make them laugh. Men think girls are funny when they laugh at their jokes. And I feel like that summarizes like exactly this, Uh you know, it's like. Minuet is so real and so impressive because she's literally just reflecting back to Picard and Riker what they want to hear and what they want to think of themselves. Like the fact that she just sits there and like maniacally smiles at him while he's playing the trombone mm-hmm. as if she doesn't have a thought in her head.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: should be seen, like if someone did that to me, I would be like, I am uncomfortable. Yeah. Like this is making me weirded out. But like Riker sees that as like, Oh, she's so into me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd be like, oh, this is kind of creepy. Like this is kinda weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: And even when she says, like, he says, How are you so good at dancing? Which was funny because he said it like they literally had taken two steps.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, it also they were like slow dancing, which isn't really the type of situation where you would right. do that. Yeah.
0: And she says, I'm so good at dancing by following your lead.
1: Ex- oh, exactly. Oh, my God. I didn't even. Oh, good catch.
0: Yeah. And I just was like, Ugh, you know, like this is it's like guys who think um, sex workers are in love with them or whatever. It's like they don't get. There's a contract here and we're you're wanting to hear something and you're paying me to say it. Uh-huh. It's like they delude themselves that like, oh, because you're good at your job, uh-huh. that means that you're actually into me, yeah, yeah, you know, and same thing, like even other service industries, like I got this all the time being a waitress yeah. or whatever, it's just like just because I'm good at my job, yeah, and like you know that this dynamic is here, like Riker knows he fucking ordered her, he constructed yeah. her,
1: yeah
0: <laughs> he he made her. Uh-huh. And yet then he still deludes himself that she has some kind of, like, realness yep. that's a reflection of how desirable he is. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, oh, I fucking created her. It's so like, of course, you know, she's reflecting back what I want mm-hmm. because that's what I made her to do.
1: Well, and it kind of has, like, it, it just kind of has that really problematic, like, um, like nice guys kind of vibe to mm-hmm. it like the type of guy who'd get upset about yep. being stuck in the quote-unquote friend zone or whatever it's this idea that exactly what you said because I'm nice to you suddenly that means that there's any kind of like sexual interest period and then which is
0: also something I've been through many times
1: right and then because I
0: like I want to be nice to people
1: yeah but and then people that doesn't mean like, I belong to oh, you now why were you leading me on or something it's like Right, wasn't, I'm not leading you on. I just was being nice to you because I'm a nice person. Like right. in what sick fantasy does that end up in sex? Oh, that's right. In every time a man makes a movie about how he's just this, <laughs> exactly. you know, poor nerdy guy who can't ever get a date and we're all supposed to be really pulling for him. And, and then we're, the, you know, love interest becomes just the object of his achievement of... you know, getting a date or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and I've, you know, I mean, my partner's mentioned to me before being on dates with guys where like, you know, she just, she's like you, you know, a good listener asks questions by the end of the date has said maybe two words and the guy's like, Oh, I feel like we have such a great connection. (laughs) And you know, and it's like, how do we have a good, you don't know anything about me. You've asked me literally zero questions so it, it's back to that idea of Riker saying like, oh, you're you're just too real, you know, because you're whatever I projected onto you because I don't know anything about you. So, yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: And they're the first ones to get mad the second you have a boundary mm-hmm. or have a need.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're like, you're not acting like yourself. Yeah. It's like, no, yeah. I am acting like myself. Yeah. You just, you just refuse don't like to me. see me. <laughs> yeah. You just don't. Yeah. You don't like anyone being... Mm-hmm a full, you know, person.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, and that's exactly what we see in the episode. We're supposed to feel bad for Riker when he, yeah, when he goes he back to the holodeck girl. and his dream girl's gone. And it's like, I don't feel bad for you. It's like, I feel, if anything, I feel bad that you feel bad. Because it's like, what does that say about you and how pathetic your mm. world is that you can't actually <laughs> connect with a human being who, who's not like you know, programmed to respond to your every need, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, you can't... I mean, uh, I know I keep harping on this, but it's just so emblematic of so many people that I've, like, dated or been involved with. Like, him walking around the ship, just not knowing what he wants to do this his time off. <laughs> you, you
1: really... That really gets under your skin. <laughs> but do you know what I'm
0: saying? Because... Yeah. It, uh-huh. It's men like him who walk around with this bravado and who sleep with as many people as they can because uh-huh. that says something about them and they identify themselves through their, like, notable job or, or whatever it is that they, they have to lean on, you know, like, maybe it's a nice car or maybe it's, like, a wealthy family they come from, whatever it is, uh-huh. um, or nice clothes or whatever they've managed to get as, like, a status symbol, and it's like, but to me, when I see you walking around and like you don't even know what to do with yourself when you're when you don't have someone telling you what to do with your time, uh-huh. it shows me that like you do not have a sense of self. So like all of this stuff is just a facade. And then you need other people to help you keep that facade up all the time. Yeah, that's right. And that's exhausting. And that's also how these like gray rape or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. these weird situations that are often symbolized through Riker. Yep. Like, if he fucked Minuet and had a relationship with her, how the hell can she consent to that? Yeah. Yet again, <laughs> we know that, like, the holodeck people cease to exist once people stop running their programs. Uh-huh. So it's like, how can you consent to someone who could just literally snap you out of existence uh-huh. If you don't not only if you don't like have a relationship with them or you break up or whatever, but like if you don't please them and keep them interested and keep them coming back, like she has to literally be perfect for him forever just to continue to exist. And I know the writers didn't see it that way, but that is for me what comes across.
1: And and it and what's so insidiously dangerous about that is that it it kind of communicates that the male fantasy in as enacted in this way is one in which consent is not required. And and I think that yes. and, and I think you made a great point. It's not that the writers were sitting down scheming like, "Hey, how do we, you know, put forward a rapey ideology?" It's if anything it's it's an artifact of, you know, how patriarchy finds ways to continue to exist and to replicate itself um, even as you said against the backdrop of different types of you know feminism or anti-sexism or whatever that might look like in the time period it finds ways to sort of subtly creep in in you know in another way so yeah maybe it maybe it's not showing in like the jock you know quarterback Mm -hmm. of the football team you know pushing kids into lockers kind of bully guy but it's, you know, the, the, the nice guy, you know, the rapey nice guy, um, who everyone's like, oh, he's, he's, he's a nice guy. He's, you know, he didn't mean anything by that. Um, yeah. yeah, And it just, it shows kind of the persistence of oppressive ideologies. It's like systems of oppression aren't dismantled because we have, have like, taken enough jocks like Brock Turner or whomever and plastered their face all over the internet and ruined their lives, like that doesn't doesn't do anything for patriarchy to destroy or disrupt a system of oppression. Um, And this is an example of that. It's because just because you're a nerdy guy who means well doesn't mean that you cannot be um, perpetuating and holding up a system of oppression.
0: Yes, very well said. And on, you know, maybe the um, side of the same coin or something, that is where the manic pixie dream girl, the cool girl, yeah. the pick me, the not like other girls comes from, yeah. is it's the patriarchy's way of teaching women how to um, embrace, at least on a surface level, the feminism uh-huh. that could threaten the system in a way that actually helps to perpetuate the system. Uh-huh. Right. So like being not like other girls, ironically, you know, I don't know what a pick me is like nowadays because I'm too old. (laughs) But when I was not like other girls, I was also like a hardcore feminist. Right. And now I can see what a contradiction that is. But at the time it made sense. At the time I felt that I was rejecting traditional gender roles. I felt like I was being outspoken about the boxes I didn't want to be put in. And now I can see I was just placating all the men around me to be like, hey, I want to, like, have strong opinions, but I also still want to be seen as hot and viable
1: mm-hmm. and
0: desirable, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I want to still be accepted. And so the way to do that is to reject other women yeah. <laughs> who might be presenting or navigating their lives differently than me. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, even even the term pick-me-girl is mm-hmm. a perfect illustration of the double bind that women are in. So, I'm go it's like a pick-me girl is someone who's saying, "Okay, I'm going to and obviously in many cases not consciously doing this, but saying, "I'm going to do the things that patriarchy tells me I must do to receive attention and approval and thereby by doing them you are then also going to criticize me for you know, wanting to be mm-hmm. chosen." And and so yeah. it's like it's like you can't – it is a game you can never win if you're a woman no. um, or a, a female presenting person because it's like you're either difficult or, or you know, ugly or cold or whatever, fill in the blank with whatever you know, terms. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, you're trying too hard. Oh, you're a pick-me girl. Oh, it's so embarrassing how, you know – what what she's doing to get it? She just wants attention, and it's like, well, no shit, she wants attention, motherfucker. Like you're who one, doesn't? Yeah, like you're the one. You're the one building up that system that says that people are supposed to be vying for attention. So right, it's like you're criticizing people for playing the game. It's what capitalism does, you know. It's just
0: Ugh. it's like yes, yeah.
1: It's like let's just rip down people who are trying to play by the rules of the game that we created.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyway. Yeah.
1: We'll try not to We'll try not to break my neck as I step down off my soapbox here.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean I feel this is the episode to talk about this yeah. stuff in because it's so it's so omnipresent mm-hmm. in these early seasons. Mm-hmm. Um and I felt like this was just such a just a pure, you know, encapsulation mm-hmm. of this kind of 80s yep. sense of like we want to seem, and we still deal with this today, and it hasn't actually changed all that much. Uh-huh. You know, how many of these fucking actors did we see wearing Times Up pins, yeah. who have, and proceeded to have multiple sexual assault allegations against them, or different types of abuse allegations? It's me. it's just, yeah. it's just what men do, you know, yeah. and it's, it's what people of the oppressor class do is they, first of all, like, I think in some ways believe that they are better than other people. Mm-hmm. And that they're not like the guy in the bushes. Yeah. Because that's always the the standard. Um, but also, it's just like, yeah, it's fashionable, you know, to pay lip service. So you have that from Riker. I mean, in yeah. the, I think it was a previous episode, he's there spouting like, at least quasi-feminist stuff to this leader of a matriarchy, saying like, "Oh, we're equals," <laughs> and and saying like he thinks it's a good thing that men and women are equal. Mm-hmm. And then you get an episode like this yep. where it's like, "Well, but really though, like like you may think equal equality to you means something different than it means to us." Yep and you're not you're not open to receiving that, yeah, because you think you're already you think you've already done the work, yeah, and so you're not prepared to hear that actually you have more work to do and that you're being harmful
1: it, it, it's that's so true and it's and and this episode is like it's one piece in a media landscape of the time that mm-hmm. y- you know i mean i I'm thinking of you know, films like Weird Science or uh Revenge of Oh God, you know, Revenge of the Nerds. Um, even something that seems so innocent from someone like Tom Hanks, you know, uh like Splash. You know, I'm thinking of all those films and and it's it's exactly that it's like but but they're nice people, you know, like we're supposed to the, the nice guy or the nerd, or you know, that that we're supposed to kind of give them a free pass because like you said, it's not the guy in the bushes or the you know, mm-hmm. the the gross rapist. Um but it it really just underscores that now there's a new class of people who feel that their behavior doesn't warrant, you know, doesn't warrant any kind of scrutiny.
0: Yep. Yeah, I'm a safe guy. I'm an ally. <laughs> and it's like, are you though? Like, or maybe you're an ally in some kind of, you know, lip servicey kind of way, but yeah. we need accomplices. Yeah. We don't need allies. Yeah. We don't need performativity. Yep. Yep. And a lot of people, again, consciously or not, mm-hmm. adopt these this posturing mm-hmm. to be seen as safe when they are not safe.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And
0: you know, Riker gives me those vibes. Mm-hmm. Like Riker season one, I would not trust him if I was drunk at a party. Yeah. I he would be someone I would tell my friends like watch him, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Like or if I if I go missing all of a sudden like come look for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think he would jump out and knock someone over the head, nope. but I think, you know, mm-hmm. he he wouldn't hear a soft no. Exactly. Or he he wouldn't uh yeah, he he wouldn't he would think things were more consensual than they were. Because he's just, you know, got this idea of himself. And that's always the hardest with men that I've found is when they have ideas about themselves, it's very hard for them to hear that that may not be true or that that is not how they're being perceived by somebody. Yeah. Because again, if you don't have a good sense of self, then like that shake that like breaks your entire identity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's why it's so hard for so many men is because, and, and I can think of mm-hmm. a lot of people off the top of my head who are, you know, friends of mine even, where when it comes to really actually critiquing behaviors, they, they want to still have that kind of like, I'm socially perceived as this type of person, but when it's just the boys, quote unquote, you know, I'm still going to, yeah. I'm still going to tell those jokes, or I'm still going to do those things that actually really do uphold a really problematic system, And, you know, it's, it's times like that where, where you're like, okay, it's almost like, you know, it's kind of like when you have a really good anti-racism movement and it's like, yeah, people understand that there are things you can't say in public and it drives the racists in, you know, or, or the racism, I should say, it drives those oppressive systems into like a deeper camouflage. And I think you see the same thing, you know, with patriarchy and with, and, you know ultimately with um the oppression that women face is that it you know people are like well I know I can't say that stuff you know I I know I can't call you sugar tits or something at work or slap your ass you know but it's sugar like <laughs> yeah you're saying my favorite <laughs> But
0: (laughs) it's so offensive, but it's also so silly and like old timing. I I love it.
1: But it's, you know, you just drive the, you drive those, those offenders underground. And so then, and you can see, they try to signal to other, when, when you're uh, a man or a male presenting person, you'll get the signals because those people put the feelers out in different social contexts and depending on how you respond to the joke or the comment or the whatever it means whether or not you're safe for you know that kind of a conversation and you know I'll tell you if you're hanging around with a bunch of people who are casually talking about things that are rapey or oppressive you know guess what that <laughs> you are one of them you know like you don't get you don't get to then like you know, pretend later on that you're not in support of that stuff.
0: Right. You don't get to be safe. And that's an argument I've had so many times with lovers and friends Mm -hmm. of, you know, you have a friend who is not safe, Mm -hmm. like like is pretty explicitly not safe. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's him. That's just how he is. But like, I'm not like that. And it's like, but you're his friend and you're supporting that behavior you're not calling it out you're not protecting the women that you bring into his orbit so like you are that Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) yeah
0: in the very least you're not safe yeah and that's something and you know i was i'm glad you brought up racism because i wanted to bring up whiteness too and say like it is the same thing you know there's plenty of white people who want to think that they're progressive Mm -hmm. and want to think that they're one of the good ones And it's, like, a known joke in, like, activist circles that, like, you know, some of the most unsafe houses or places you can go are places with BLM stickers.
1: Mm, uh
0: uh Because it's, like, this performative Black Lives Matter, if anyone doesn't know. um, Because you get these performative whites who want to think Highly of themselves, mm-hmm. but aren't actually safe. And sometimes that's like the most dangerous person because mm-hmm. they're not even they're not even aware of it. And a lot of times they can like lull you into submission or make you think that they're okay. And then the next thing you know, like something really bad is happening, yeah. and they're just like, "What? What? I, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I got scared. I had to call the cops because I like got scared. But it's not because you're black. <laughs>
1: right. It's like
0: really right. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah." yeah. And I just, I think, yeah, it's, like, the same for men, and I feel bad, you know, because, like, I have a lot of friends who are guys, and I can see, like, how much pain a lot of people are in, Uh Um, and I know, like, men do suffer under the patriarchy, and It just, I just wish men could understand that, like, a lot of us do have a lot of empathy and sympathy, but, like, we cannot access that if we don't feel safe. Like, I can't, because a lot of people are like, yeah, like, I wish there were more conversations kind of from that angle of, Mm -hmm. like, the empathy angle. And it's like, I get that, but at the same time, like, you can't expect me to do the labor of being empathetic Mm -hmm. when, like, I might get raped Like, you just can't. No, no. And you may say, like, I would never hurt someone that way. But the thing is, I don't trust you to know Uh what actually constitutes rape Uh and that you haven't already done it or that you wouldn't do Uh it. And we all deserve a chance to be better. We all deserve a chance to grow. But it has to start with, like, a radical and very uncomfortable introspection where we're honest with ourselves And where we've done the work to build up enough internal fortitude that we can do that work. I understand if someone, I used to not have a strong sense of self and I know how fucking like sensitive and fragile I was. And I had to do the work, I had to do that work first before I could like really become, you know, work on all the other stuff and make sure that I was being as good of a person as I could be. So it's okay if that's the work you need to do. But like what I can't handle is you making it my labor (laughs) to just like bypass that step for you and just be like, oh, it's okay. Like, yeah, I know everything's hard. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, getting groped and like dealing with all kinds of violent shit all the time and patting you on the head because you can't like do the work to be stronger, to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. I want to be a good person I have to own up to some stuff and I have to see how I might replicate these systems and benefit from them. And it's fine. We all benefit from something, Mm -hmm. you know, like we all benefit from something. No matter how marginalized someone is, you know, odds are they have some way that they're privileged over someone else. And so it doesn't that doesn't even have to inherently be bad, but we have to be okay with like seeing it. And and saying, okay, well, how did this maybe impact the way that I view other people who Mm -hmm. don't look like me?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think an example of what you're talking about is in the episode where, you know, Picard sits there with Riker during what is really kind of an awkward and problematic exchange. And then he just gets up and leaves. And I, I'm thinking of that's, you know, he never inquires, he never, you know, reaches out to Riker to have that conversation. Again, obviously I'm not saying that I expected to see this in this episode, but I'm saying it's it's a perfect right. example of what a lot of men will do in that situation is if if we're feeling kind of uncomfortable with the situation we're gonna leave, which yes. allows yeah. allows it to go on. And we're never gonna just even look over at the other person and be like, Hey, are you okay? Cause this is actually getting kind yeah. of weird. Or, you know, hey, what's, you know, like th- there's this fear of like intervening in in situations because it's like, oh, well, I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, because if you don't want people to think you're what? You don't want people to think right. that you are against that type of oppression? And,
0: well, and just think of however uncomfortable you are, how much more uncomfortable the other person is. Yeah. Yeah, And they never think of that. It's like they stop at like, well, it would be really awkward. And it's like, okay, so when someone says that they, you know, feel like they were sexually assaulted because they felt like they couldn't say no. Mm-hmm. And you tell them that that doesn't make sense. Like, why didn't they just say no? Mm-hmm. But then you're also not intervening on stuff because it's too awkward to say something. Exactly. Those are the same thing. Yeah. It's
1: like, <laughs> um... One of these things so like, is like the other.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boom. <laughs> Take that patriarchy. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I agree with that scene. It feels like Picard had to be like, This is weird mm-hmm. and this is like not okay. And I think even his little comment at the end of he's like, Well, some relationships just like aren't meant to work out. Mm-hmm. Could be seen as that, you know, him knowing that things were not okay. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of relieved that, like, it resolved itself without him having to explicitly step in and say something. Because mm-hmm. he, he seemed very dismissive.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which, you know, he should have been because, well, he should have been more than dismissive. But you know what I mean? It had a feeling of him being like, well, that's resolved. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to say anything.
1: Mm-hmm. <sighs>
0: <sighs> Ugh. Yeah, and when she grabbed him and, like, begged him not to go, I know that was the programming from the binar or whatever, but it felt like yeah, a reaction to the situation. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not lost on me, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, well, Should we shift gears? Should we shift gears a bit here, Nick? I'm
1: I'm, I'm conscious of my uh, my my clock ticking here and uh, Your my evening slipping yeah. away. Um.
0: Yeah.
1: I did. You have any words of wisdom?
0: Uh, I had like anti words of wisdom. Yeah.
1: Okay. Should we do anti words of yeah. wisdom?
0: Yeah. Let's do anti words I mean, of that fits wisdom. That's what you had. I love it
1: because I have an anti word of wisdom too.
0: So my first one was, how real are you? As real as you need me to be. (laughs) Which I think, like, is a word of wisdom, but it's like he didn't get it. Uh Uh (laughs) You know, like she was telling him right out of the gate, again, just like a service worker of any kind. It's like, hey, I have to serve you. So here I am doing my job. And he's like, wow, you really love me.
1: Definitely don't love you. Just doing my job. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: How about you? What do you have? I have an
1: anti-word of wisdom. It was at the end of the episode during the, what I've come to call, and, and anybody who listens to our podcast frequently will be familiar with the phrase, the Scooby-Doo ending, you know, where, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, where, where everybody stands together and laughs. But when Picard goes, everything is under control. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's fucking not. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> did you not just listen to our episode Jean-Luc like everything is not um, under control here
0: <laughs> that is way too good <laughs> anti
1: word of wisdom there Yeah.
0: Yep. so we had from Picard doesn't love always begin that way with the illusion more real than the woman yeah Ugh.
1: what the fuck was that even
0: And it, again in a way it is a word of wisdom because it's kind of like you're saying the quiet part out loud yeah but it, but it wasn't said with self awareness. Yeah, that was like
1: that was like pretty blatantly misogynist.
0: Yeah, and from Picard too, I which know. is pretty surprising because he doesn't often, you know, talk. He doesn't really talk about women much. Thankfully, but yeah, it was like one of those moments where I'm like, well, again, <laughs> again. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you're not taking it the way that I'm taking right, it. Right, right. Whereas, like
1: you're, you're
0: you're saying it like that it's is a your good problem. Thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: That's why you're disappointed in your relationships mm-hmm. because you are pursuing an illusion mm-hmm. and not the and real not person. A person. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oof, zing! <laughs> Man, I I mean I, I don't know Nick. I, I I know you you know you haven't edited anything at this point yet, but I feel like we really brought it home on this episode. I mean, (laughs) 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 we really really brought the patriarchy to task today.
0: I think so. I feel like there's a little tiny chink in the armor that's all ours. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I I have an episode rating which is which is a quote. Oh,
0: let's hear it.
1: Yeah. So it's one of the better scenes of course is when um Jordi and Data are talking after having cleared out the Enterprise uh during the red alert. And uh Jordi says, "I think we're the last." And Data says, "I hope we are." And I thought when I looked at this episode in the Holodeck, I was I was like <laughs> I was like I think <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the last one for a while.
0: <laughs> I
1: hope it is. And you're like,
0: I hope it is.
1: <laughs> so that was my, that was my episode rating.
0: And I echo that a thousand percent. Like, please let us get a break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My episode rating is this is your diversion number one, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great! Oh my god, I love that. Well. Next time, we have episode 15, Too Short a Season, Mm -hmm. in which an elderly Starfleet admiral hides a deadly secret as he leads the Enterprise D in a hostage rescue mission.
1: Ooh, exciting. Hostage rescue mission. Okay.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Hmm.
1: All right. Well, we will see you all aboard the Enterprise next time.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Until then. Fight the patriarchy, comrades. Yeah, fuck the
1: patriarchy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Goodbye. Bye thanks for joining us today on our mission comrade to keep this galaxy class starship chugging along we need your help if you like the show consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on itunes or your preferred podcasting app follow us on instagram share us with your friends promote us on social media or become a financial supporter of the show on patreon at patreon.com slash collective now get off my ship